Welcome to The Player's Voice, a podcast brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. My name is Alan O'Mara, a former Cavan goalkeeper now working as a performance and wellbeing consultant. During this series, we take listeners inside the minds of some of Ireland's most inspiring intercounty GA players, as they share important lessons from life on and off the field. I'm delighted to be joined this week by Con Kilpatrick, an All-Ireland winning midfielder with Tyrone in 2021, who opens up in great detail about his gambling addiction. He talks about the web of lies he spun to hide his secret, the ups and downs of recovery, bouncing back from a relapse, and repairing damaged relationships with family and friends. I know Con's honesty, insight, and courage will help so many people and communities. We also discuss the joy he's experienced from representing and winning with Tyrone and Eden Dork, climbing the steps of the Hogan stand to lift the Sam Maguire Cup, and from living a more authentic, balanced life. If you are a GPA member and worried about problem gambling, please call 1800 989285. That's 1800 989285. Or text GPA to 50808 from the Republic of Ireland. From Northern Ireland, please call 0800-044-5059. That's 0800-044-5059. Or text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and need support, please check out gamblersanonymous.ie or problemgambling.ie. But for now, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the player's voice with Con Kilpatrick. Hey Con, first of all, just say thanks a million for joining us on the Players Voice podcast. Really appreciate your time and this is a conversation I'm really looking forward to having with you. To kick us off, I just wanted to jump back in with the All-Ireland final last year. You know, it's something that so many players in Ireland grow up dreaming of, thinking about, working towards. And really just going to ask you, what was it like to to get to experience that and be part of, of that day and that momentous occasion in Tyrone? Yeah, I'll... Um... Like even still thinking about it, it was it was all a blur in a sense. But but we obviously we soaked up a lot of it. And obviously growing up as a, as a young boy, you first of all you want to make your your club seniors, and then you you want to progress hopefully to to your county setup. And I was lucky enough to to probably be a part of some minor and under twenty one setup, so I kind of had a had a grasp of of what the inter county life was like. Um, and then obviously Mickey called me up in 2020 um to, to join the senior panel and then he left and brian and fergal came in um so the the goal obviously w- was to get as far as we could and, and hopefully sam was was in our sights and that's what we kind of set out to do and and when we eventually got there it was it was just a kind of a dream come true even just to be a part of the whole day and then to be able to walk up the steps and lift the sam mcguire was was something special what are your strongest memories of that day now when you kind of think back or reflect on it? Is there anything that kind of sticks out with you or kind of key moments during like pre-game, during game, post-game? Is there any kind of key memories you have? Yeah, well, I think obviously this is kind of my first year that, that I've been to Croke Park. So Ulster Final was like I played in Croke Park, what, three times? Ulster Final was the first day. The semi-final against Kerry was the second day. And then obviously the the final was, was the third day. And, and every time that, that I walked, into Croke Park and, and from the change rooms out onto the pitch I just kind of took a 5-10 seconds just to look around me just at the stadium and 
because before that I was I was going as a spectator and only wishing to get out onto the pitch so to actually be there was probably a, a big thing for me. Um, and then kind of leading up to the game, the, the police escort, I just kind of looked back and we were flying through all the traffic and everybody was kind of waving us and cheering us on. And that was probably a, a big thing that I took out of it, that people were there to to support us and we were there to do a job at the end of the day and to pro- to provide joy for, for the rest of the county. So um, it was just... All in all, they were probably the two of the biggest things, just kind of taking in the whole Crook Park atmosphere and and the the build up going to Crook Park um, for the start of the game. You what you described there is that the kind of there's so much energy, there's so much like life around the stadium, and then you mentioned like you're there to do a job. What were like the key messages either coming from from management or within the group to kind of try and keep you focused and grounded on on what was ahead? Was there any kind of key things that stick out to you there that was? Like triggers, or was trying to keep your 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 eyes on the job ahead. Yeah, there, there there was plenty of things that we, as I said, we knew we were there to do a job, and we were lucky enough to be one of the two teams in the final. Um, and leading up to, we probably had a difficult time leading up to the final. Um, but we knew that we we had worked hard, probably harder than anybody that we we felt. Um, we we came through a tough, obviously league campaign. It was split up, so we came through tough league games and then a tough road to the championship like we played um Calvin, Donegal, Monaghan and then eventually Kerry and then Mayo in the in the final. So we definitely knew that we were we were good enough and the management had, had full belief in us and we knew we had the work done. So it was kinda just putting everything back together one last time and, and giving it the best rattle that we could. Oh obviously is dead. Um and then I was looking like so all that all that happening con like you got the the I suppose the journey from the start of the season, a tough league campaign, championship, you get to go, you get to co- go to Croker a couple of times in a row. What's it like then when when the final whistle sounds? I know I saw as I was kind of reading up and looking into articles and stuff for you the last couple of days or the week or so. There was a lovely picture like from it was like yourself sitting on the ground and the photographer. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure you've seen it where the photographer captured. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I look at it and I just see joy and release and kind of all the good stuff that we all, we all play sport for or what the the positive aspects of it are what what kind of what what's in your mind or what's going through your head as the final whistle sounds in those kind of couple of minutes afterwards yeah it was it was just complete joy as as the final whistle goes and and everybody was running around hugging each other and and just celebrating together and then like i said before even walking out uh, for the warm up to Crook park it took a few few seconds just to kind of take it all in and like speaking to, to boys before, obviously Trone were in the All Ireland final in, in twenty eighteen and obviously it didn't go our way, but even speaking from past boys who had been playing and retired, like they, they just take a moment you want to just take a moment to soak it all in and and the, they're the memories that'll probably live on for, for the rest of your life. Just seeing the the joy the fans have and all the group of boys, the background team that we had, the management team, and uh, different family members just on the pitch and and it was probably just in awe of, of everything that had happened um, and probably couldn't believe that that we had made it there and, and, and I had made it there so it was just sitting and, and taking, a, taking a moment before before the, the madness kind of happened and then I know like over the years you always see that the madness is on the field and kind of people are jumping up and the, the kind of craziness happens out there and there's a killer's collecting the trophy and lifting it and that's all like that the public stuff. What's it? What was it like then to kind of get back under the stand of the Hogan stand and kind of recenter and kind of circle back into a room together and then get that moment where 
you know, it's just the people who've been on the journey and there's four walls protecting you and you just get to experience and, and ultimately celebrate that moment, I'm sure. Like, do, was that like a a strong time for the group to get back into the dressing room like that? Yeah, definitely. Like after the final whistle, we all kind of stayed together for the first maybe minute or two and then we went to different family members scattered around the around the stadium and and whenever we went back into the dressing room, it was just a sense of the job was done and, and we became a part of history. Um, we had probably stepped away from, from the team that won it in 03, 05 and 08 because we had k- kind of written our own legacy. Um, and we just obviously went around and congratulated each other and, and took it all in. Obviously got photographs because although the players are, are on the pitch at the end of the day doing the job, like there's, there's so many men in the background that that put in countless hours, like you've your your stats men, you've your kit men, you've your logistics men who sort out hotels, buses, you've obviously the management and the coaches, the S and C coaches. So we all just kinda took it as one big group then when we got back into the change room and, and everybody had appreciation for everybody and no one individual was was any bigger than, than the next man, you know. Like you said, obviously you mentioned the the wider group and the support staff like what? What impact did did Fergal and Brian make on the group coming in? Because you ultimately end up winning the All Ireland in their first year, correct? Yeah, yeah. What What impact did they make on on, on the group? Yeah, I think obviously, like I had, had only one year under Mickey, um, so they they probably made a bigger difference to boys like the likes of Nan Morgan or McNamee or Maddie Donnelly who have been there maybe the guts of ten years, um. But even that, just fresh ideas that came in, new new people into the backroom team, new new coaches to for training and stuff, um, and just for probably a different way of of dealing with things. I think um, they, they've obviously they're going around as as brands maybe looked at as a bad cop and Fergus looked at as a good cop, and but it, it's a good combination. Um, you need to be told at times when when you're not doing your job and and what you need to be doing, but then you also need to. Be, be taken around again and saying like you, you can do it if, if you really put your mind out and stuff so they've definitely just brought that buzz and obviously coming off the back they won a All-Ireland under 21 with a lot of them boys um, so they kind of knew what they were about and they were obviously letting the older boys know and obviously the younger boys um, so it just brought a, a fresh freshness to the team and and we knew that they were obviously born winners themselves and, and had laid the path for us to play for Tyrone so it was all in all a good decision. <laughs> I know, I know, and I know what you're saying about lads who'd been around previously because Mickey's tenure had been so long and and ultimately successful. And man, such a legend in throwing and in, in Gaelic football. What was it like for you also then to come in your first year to get called up by by Mickey Hart into the senior team and to get experience that under such like a legendary figure and someone who literally has achieved it all? What was that like for you? Yeah, it was great because, like I said, you always dream of of playing for Tyrone. Um, and I kind of knew I was getting the phone call because um, another boy had kind of let me know that he wanted my number and stuff. So I was kind of just waiting on the phone call, and then he eventually did ring, um, and then obviously said like I would come up no problem because it's, it's what you want. Um, but obviously coming into the dressing rooms, you're, 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 there's a lot of big names there, and and you're only. A, a small fish in a big pond at the end of the day um but you, you obviously want to set your marker as well like i said like obviously the first year or two you're kind of settling in maybe and you're you're finding your feet um but i always said that i was there to probably take somebody's jersey because 
I probably had the, the, the belief in my own ability and I didn't want to waste his time and my time just sitting there going to train and, and not really making an impact. So, But yeah, he, he was very good and obviously he was the first man to ever give me my tr- first drone senior jersey. Incredible. Like, to, And then when you say you're walking into that dressing room with, with such leaders there and figures, like, what, what's driving that confidence you have in yourself at that point and that kind of drive and determination to say, like, ultimately... I'm not here to make up numbers. I'm not here to be part of, of. Of course, you're being part of the group and want to be part of the group, but also individually and like selfishly, you're looking to climb the pecking order and and stake a claim on a jersey. And obviously, you go on and do that, and you start in the all and final. But what was kind of driving that at the earlier stages? I think just um, like coming up against these boys in club. Um, I, I never really, like for example, if we were playing Trillick and I was marking Matty or Richie Donnelly or somebody. Like I never really thought about, oh, I'm marking the throne senior player. I always thought that like, if I'm at my best, I can give these boys a good rattle. And then obviously you have people telling you, like, if you you work hard, you can make it. So I think it's kind of having your own belief and and working hard and also having the backing of other people that, that you can do the job at the end of the day. And it's pro- probably just, like I said, them club games where I was, was testing myself against these boys and I wasn't coming up too bad, obviously. Some days we might have won the game and some days we lost and some days I might have had a good performance and bad performance, but I just knew overall that, that I could definitely um, put myself out there if, if I worked hard enough. No, brilliant. It's um, it's obviously such like a, in some ways a rapid journey, but also in other ways, I'm sure it's it's not. It was, you know, people think success doesn't happen overnight, but to make that, uh, you clearly made a big impact on the squad and then like to go on that journey, Con, and to go, to go through those, those different stages of the journey and then kind of to bring us all the way back up to where we started, like to get to that RM final, to experience that. I'm sure there's many ups and downs in between. It's not like it's all sunshine and rainbows and you enter the squad <laughs> and everything's great. Like I'm not for one yeah. second suggesting that. But I suppose then to, to have that experience, then that that achievement of winning all Ireland with your teammates for your county, to be part of literally putting your yourselves in, in history, creating, you said the word legacy earlier, and for sure you have done that. And then just the excitement and the the joy and the celebrations. And then I suppose three weeks after that game, you find yourself sitting in the RT studio on Claire Burns show. Um, and you open up about your experience of gambling and how that impacted your life. How, I suppose, how did that opportunity come about and what motivated you to do that in the aftermath of, of winning the All-Ireland? Yeah, it, it was a quick turnaround for, from when they, they obviously got in contact with me to go on and, it was through Oshie McConville that they had, like, I would kind of have a close relationship with him, obviously, um, from previous. But they had contacted him to see if if it would be a possibility for me to go on, um, and then he obviously contacted me. And at, at the start, like eighty percent of me wanted to do it, but twenty percent still was in reserve. Like it it was going on live TV and and down in Dublin, like. Um, but I always in the back of my mind thought that that I would do it and obviously talked to, to close family members and obviously let Brian and Fergal know as well because it's putting it's putting the team under a bit of spotlight as well. So I didn't want to to kinda of rock the boat, you know. Um but ultimately I went with the decision to do it because at the end of the day after the All Ireland we we kinda of had this profile, um and like I was even listening to the the podcast over Thomas Niblock and Richie Power was on it, and uh, even if it like and he said even if it helps one person, 
um, like that's a massive difference and could ultimately save somebody's life. Um, so that was in the back of my mind, and it also keeps me honest because, like, obviously a lot of people up north here know, but maybe a lot of people down south didn't know. Um, so it kind of like if I go down south, I know I can't go into the bookies and and get away with you know, I can away, but it it was ultimately to to keep me honest and to keep me on on the right path and also to to help people if if they needed to and if they wanted to reach out they could you know i mean i for sure you did that and i'm i'd imagine i'm I'm guessing in the aftermath you got a lot of people reaching out with messages and different experiences and either directly or indirectly with family members or friends or themselves is what what like so to go on as you said live tv to sit there in the studio the bright lights kick on the sweat probably starts running down the the, the back or or the armpits a little bit um and it like because it's an overwhelming and and it's and it's not like you're on the camera after a game just saying oh yeah like we scored that goal in the last minute it was great like it's a very personal um there's quite a bit of vulnerability to it so what was it like to to do that on live tv and then how was the the aftermath and the reaction to doing that yeah it it, it was tough like i wouldn't be a big like media person in, in terms of that large scale um probably haven't had a, a lot of experience or, or training you know in it um i wasn't that nervous probably leading up to it but but as soon as i sat down in the chair before we went live it probably the nerves started to kick in and you've all the cameras and you maybe 10 or 12 boys running around fixing mics and, and camera lighting etc but like i did probably enjoy the experience because it put me out there and it, it makes me like i said more accountable for for the actions that i have done but um ultimately it, it was probably a bit scary at the time and um, I, I don't i don't regret doing it in that sense but um and obviously the reaction that i got was, was all positive um a few, few negatives but sure you're, you're gonna get that but um like i've helped quite a number of people and or will i put myself out there to, to help them like if they've contacted me and anybody that did contact me after it, I, I got back to them all just because they're going out of their way to, to wish you well. Um, so it's just common courtesy to get back to them if there is an issue. Yeah. When you say, like, because obviously it's such a, it takes courage to do what you did and it takes strength to do and there's a vulnerability to it. When you say there was some negative coming back, I mean, in what form was that? What regard was, was that? Uh, just like if somebody, like, say RTE put it up on their Twitter or somebody maybe reshared it, you just see the odd comment under it. Um and then obviously like I've got it a few times on the pitch like but it's it's water it's water off a duck's back now. It doesn't really affect me. Probably it happened the the first time it happened to me in a club game and I probably lost the the rag a wee bit um because it was so probably raw and I wasn't expected. But then I've got it a couple of times since and it doesn't really bother me now, to be honest. Um, right. Does it surprise you that people would use that in that way? To be honest, it does, because I think it's something that's obviously so personal to to, to me and, and how it affected my family and, and close friends so much. Um, it, it it does, like, I, I know I wouldn't take, say, obviously you have a bit of, a bit of slander that goes on, on the pitch, but it's never really... Um, it's it's never really personal. It's 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 a bit of crack about what's happening maybe in the game or something, and you're just trying to maybe get the upper hand on your opponent. But to to use 
for for me, I I just know I wouldn't do that. So, and especially in a match where both teams are supposed to respect each other and and all this crack, but it, it doesn't really bother me anymore. And and whenever somebody kind of says it, it, I just kind of laugh at it to be honest. Yeah, no, that's what like the the reason I ask is like I remember when. Like for, from on my personal end, like when I went public about my experience with depression and mental health back in like twenty thirteen, I was still playing with Calvin, and one of the things nagging at me, you said that you said eighty percent of you wanted to do it and twenty percent didn't, and like some of my twenty percent as well was, will this be used against me or will it be used against the team or, um, and I remember just saying, well, like obviously, in the nicest way possible, f that and been like. And, I suppose looping all the way back around to then it's about usually helping one person and I know for a fact that like, you would have helped more than one person and in terms of helping people then and kind of how that helps obviously a lot of times with, with people and with humans it comes from like sharing stories sharing experiences so if you could kind of rewind back a little bit to that in terms of gambling I suppose like the obvious question is like how did kind of gambling enter your life and in what form and then how does it develop from there yeah, well, well, gambling um, entered my life in probably 15, 16, 17 years of age. It it was so innocent, like me, my dad and my brother would do a two or three pound bet on soccer teams or Gaelic teams. Just It was just a bit of crack. It was a bit of bonding, obviously. Um, you're in the house and it, it, that's how simple it, it started off. Um, and then as I grew older, it, it kind of became more gradual. Like, you know, obviously whenever you heard you reach a certain age, 15, 16, 17, you want to go down the town with your friends or you want to go for a feed with them or whatever. And say so I, I went down the town with, with a few of the friends and my parents gave me a tenner to get a feed and it cost £6 and I had £4 change. We kind of started going into the bookies and, and there was a roulette table as soon as you walked into the into the door. Um, and we would put the £4 in and, and put £4 in red. And if you got that back up to a tenner, then that was taken straight out. And and we seen that as a as a free feed, you know, like you had your tenner back, you had fed and and that's how innocent it probably was. And like I said, when I got older I was able to walk into the bookies more. Um obviously started driving and nobody was kinda questioning your age because you were that seventeen years of age, you were kinda the right age to go in, so people probably didn't really know. Um, walking in with the car keys in your hand as well, looking like a, uh, looking like an adult. <laughs> exactly. But so, so then, like, probably from there, I was still doing the maybe a couple of pound bet with my father and my brother, but then I was walking in and doing it, so I was doing an extra fiver, an extra tenner bet that they didn't know about. Um, and then it grew gradually into seeing, obviously, the horses and all the screens and the dogs. Um, and then the relaxed, obviously, was shining in the corner with all the, all the lights and everything. Um, and it was obviously if you won it was brilliant odds compared to doing a, a five to six dog or something um, and it, it gradually grew from there I made an online account with, with my details or my father's details but my bank account details and then the, it just obviously took a hold of me and I was in most days I was probably gambling what I had I'd begged, borrowed and stole like I've, I've done everything under the book to, to get ways and means of gambling Um and then it was a big part of my life, obviously, and and it was quite secretive. But then it, it all came out in, in 2018. Um, I just borrowed that much money off people and wasn't paying back that it all caught up with me. Um, and people probably had their suspicions. 
Um, you know the way word of mouth goes about, and people see in the car maybe outside the bookies quite a lot, and then three three of my friends, obviously close friends, got wind of it, and they just had enough, and they probably knew in the background for a wee while that it was happening, and they just landed down to my house and told my father, and I was at my girlfriend's house at the time, and my father rang me, and I just knew that I had he told me to come home. And I just knew by his voice that it was something to do with the gambling. I didn't know what. Um, so she lives about a half an hour away, so I had half an hour to kind of think of all the, the lies that they told, try to get the story straight and, and everything. And, like, my head was that far away that I had told my girlfriend that I need, like, I was only up maybe an hour or two. And I had said that mummy had hit the car and that they needed the other car back down the road. And that's how quick that I could come up with, with, while I was gambling, like the the fibs and the lies, um, and then obviously went down home, and and the three three friends landed to the door, and they they knew everything, and everything just came out that night, and it it was a weight lifted off my shoulders, um, like obviously I was raging probably at the time, but I was I was glad in the same sense, and and then obviously I stayed off it for about a year and a half, um. I contacted Ashley McConville at the time and met up with him a few times and um, stayed off it for a year and a half and then I relapsed um, and then the relapse it, it was I was never in the bookies it was all online at two bank accounts so I could kind of keep my bank account and then just transfer the money into into the gambling bank account and again one of the friends that was there here the first time got wind of it and just ran my father straight away and. It was it was obviously a tough time and and it obviously hurt a lot of people but um it, that's kind of where a, a lot of the, the there's obviously other stuff as well that like uh, I was in the bookies it was online it was pitching in school it was if it was two flies crawling up the wall it would have been that as well yeah um it was just something that took over my life and obviously thankful that that I'm out the better end at the minute and. What dates today? The twenty twenty third of March. I so in, f- in five days I'll be two years off it, and I've never obviously reached that before. So hopefully, if if I stay stay at the two year mark, it'll be it'll be a big day, kind of. Yeah. No, obviously. Like, well, first of all, like good for you, and and secondly, like thank you for sharing what you've just did there, and and, and the honesty. I suppose there's a couple of things that jump out at me, and so if if I could wind pretty pretty early to your answer, you said you know like. And this is quite common, it's particularly with lads. Like it starts off as like a social thing and like a bonding thing. Either we've it happens as part of dressing rooms or teams of which are mates where you're going in and doing the two pound accumulator to try and win twenty. It's that real simple kind of logic. Um, but you said you said it kind of it took a hold of you. Then I, I think you used the phrase "it took a hold of you." And I suppose my first question and kind of what you shared there was kind of what changes in that relationship or what what causes that to become more serious or more sinister. Yeah, probably just like I probably went in at the start to to get a few pounds and and that was probably like you have this idea that if you win big you can win big and if you win big it could probably change your life and the money definitely did have a glaring glow in the background and I wanted to get the big bets up but it was probably just the anticipation of each race and the, the football matches and the, the different types of scenarios you could win in probably drew me in more and and it wasn't like a, a pile of money to, to blow away like it, 
it, it was just something that got a hold of me, and I can't quite put my finger on it what why I kept going back. But it obviously I, I was addicted to it, and and the the money probably was was the the biggest factor. Like if I if I won, then I have more money to do X, Y, and Z. Um, I could go on the holidays, I could get a car, you know. But an ultimate reality that <laughs> the big fancy car never came. Yeah, I suppose like in terms of the gambling, for sure, one element's usually like the financial aspect, and like that either it's either subconsciously or consciously wanting that like life that you don't have right now, or the big shiny thing as you kind of as you describe there, and there's that kind of call it a sense of hope or false hope or, or whatever language whatever language people prefer so for sure so it sounds like there was obviously that financial element and is that coming from like is any of that part of like an insecurity in your life off the field is that like to do it like if you're doing well on the field that you want to have like want people to see like kind of the bravado and the kind of the flash that goes with that off the field was that intertwined in any way con um i've never actually thought about it like that but i always kind of Wanted the the nice car and and wanted to wear probably the nicest clothes or whatever, but like it, I don't think it had a direct effect on the pitch, um, because I wasn't kind of as public back then because I obviously wasn't on the throne team, um, but it it definitely probably did. I, I wanted to have nice things like and it was just, I'm sure every lad and and girl wants to have the nicest things and and the gambling was the way that I kind of thought that I could get this here but it obviously didn't turn out that way and and it's just just something that kind of happened you know yeah and actually it, it, it's like a it's like a downward slope or like a spiral and we've said already it only starts off so innocently and so and so kind of laid back and so easily and then within that kind of window kind of building up to the the, let's call it the intervention or the the time when your friends and family kind of rallied together to to get you to sit down like with with gambling and with addiction at that like people a lot of the time even media and stuff will focus on like the financial elements or that person x is is y in debt or that kind of stuff but was was some of it around that time or any of it around that time was it emotional was it a sense of escapism or getting away or outside your own head and kind of the emotional and mental end of the scale as well as the financial um I'd say probably because of the gambling, I was more a closed book. Like, if I came into the house, I was going straight to the room or I was always out, you know. I was never really in the house and having that interaction with family because my head was in the gambling 24-7 and that's just where I wanted to kind of be and to kind of do. And um, I suppose it, it did have an effect, um, like, with my relationship with a lot of people because... Like in terms of like football, I, I, yes, I wanted to go to football to get away from the gambling. But when I was at football, I was also thinking about the bets that I'd done that were happening during my training. So it definitely had a had a effect on on the ability for for me to focus fully on football and work and school and everything. Um, like that, that's how strong of a grip it had on you that even when you're at football and training, like your mind at different times of a session is wandering back to yeah to bets. Or, like I was. I was coming in and the first thing I was doing was checking my phone to see if the horse won the race or I was leaving training that quick that I could get down to the bookies for the last race. You know what? It was just kind of a, a different world that I was living in and it definitely had an impact on a lot of things. It's got to, it sounds like it had come, become quite all-consuming for you. Yeah, yeah. And then 
one other question I had from the like the the piece that you'd shared earlier was so your friends and family do the do the crossover and because they obviously care for you, love you, and want to help you. Yeah. Like at that point, bef- just before they had done that, had had any part of you started to identify you the problem? Had you thought about reaching out or trying to address this, or were you still living in your kind of tunnel or bubble that it's all good? Yeah, probably. Like if I wasn't caught, I probably would never reach out because I was that scared to to do it and I know how much how many people it, it would let down and like ultimately what what I had done and, and there was times where I had gambled and I had enough to clear my debts and I had enough to, to live off for a while but the draw of a big win kind of kept you back in it and and there was times like I was going to the bookies for say 500 or 1000 pound and like I lost it and I was shouting and screaming on the road home, just me and myself. And but I always knew that if I could get the money back up to that the next day, if if obviously results went my way because I did it before, I did it before. Like I turned two hundred pound into eleven grand one time. I turned a fiver into five hundred pound, and like I knew, obviously it was pure luck and 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 everything that comes with it. But I knew whenever I lost the money, if I got money from somewhere else, that I could always kind of get it back up but ultimately that that wasn't the case like what's your when you when when you kind of recall there Colin, those days or those feelings when you're driving home screaming in the car or just that emotional kind of frustration and anger overwhelming what's like your what's your kind of thoughts as you reflect on that and think about like those days and that block of your life yeah um it's probably just how naive and silly it was that I didn't kind of grasp onto the fact that you needed to tell somebody here because, like, whenever, if, if I had done it, the, the money wouldn't have been as big. The the effects might have been still there, but maybe not as, as damaging Um, if I had caught it earlier. And even when I when I relapsed at that time, my mother said, like, if you had just done the one bet in Tullus, like that would have been fine. Like at least you owned up to it and stuff. But I continued betting for a year and a half, and the debts grew bigger and bigger. And it's just kind of obviously it's 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 not great looking back on it, but it's just something that that I have to deal with, and it's part of my life. And if I'm lucky, probably in a sense that I I got caught young, and I didn't have a family or a mortgage or um a wife to take care of and, and things like that. Yes, I have a girlfriend, but like there, there's, it could have been drastically worse in, in say five or ten years' time. But so I'm always, I always kind of reflect back on that. That yes, it did happen, and it's not nice, and it's obviously ruined my life for for a while. But I kind of got out um quite young, so I also kind of look back on that as well. When you said earlier that you know you if you hadn't got caught you might never have done it because like you were scared you were scared to or to like you it had got it had kind of I suppose that sense or that feeling of it had gone so far or too far already but I suppose at that and I so I totally hear that and I totally understand that but internally while that's going on is there parts of you that wishes like are you thinking about that there's a problem here or that I am gone too far here. Or are you still kind of oblivious or kind of being ignorant to yourself that like you, I'm the man, I still have it all under control and I'm good. Do you know that kind of internal struggle I'm talking about? Like that, like, did you know that and are ignoring it? Was that, was, was that voice or that kind of reasoning happening internally? Or were you still just kind of trucking along being like, as I said, I'm, I'm all good? Yeah, 
Yeah, it was probably a bit of both. Like, I knew if somebody seen me outside the boogies, they'd be questioning me. Um, but, like, I was that ignorant that I didn't care, and I was that engrossed in it that, like, I might park the car a wee bit down the road and walk in, okay. you know, that kind of way. Um, and, obviously, like, the, the, the clerks and the boogies kind of knew who I was because I was in all the time. And, like, I tried to go from boogies to boogies, so it didn't look like I was was in the same one 24-7, but, like, I remember one Sunday, um, like, obviously the bookies aren't open here on a Sunday up north, and I pretended to my mother and father that I was going to my friend's house for the day, and I drove to Monaghan to, because obviously the bookies were open, and I spent the full day in Monaghan. And, on your own? On my own, yeah. And as soon as I walked in, I seen an older man that, gambles in, in one of the shops down the town there and I was like it's just my luck to see somebody here that, that I know whenever I've drove probably an hour an hour and a half away and then he obviously said oh what are you doing up here and, and I made up that that the team was down for for a match and we were out last night and just didn't hear the football bat for the day and stuff but like that's how far I was willing to go like to drive literally down south on my own to, to get a few bats on um yeah but I probably always, I probably was ignorant to the fact that I had an addiction and I never really kind of owned up to it myself or acknowledged it. But in the back of my mind, I probably knew that I was in too many times for, for my own good. Yeah. And I suppose like when you're in that phase of it, Con, and I, I know like in on previous podcasts, like I said like to before, I've talked to Niall McNamee and I've talked to Ocean McConnell about their experience of this. And one of the... Uh, one of the common threads that comes up then is, I suppose, the web of lies you spin as well and how you, you you mentioned the word lies earlier and then how quick you, I suppose, the ability or talent you become to, A, the quality of the lie, but also B, how quick you can do it just like without even thinking. Um, so then to have done uh, to have done that for, for months or for years where you're hiding stuff, where you're lying about where you're going, lying about what you're doing, if it's lying about why you're borrowing money, it's it's it, it becomes quite a complex and like intricate web of lies is that fair to say yeah definitely uh, how how heavy does that does that web become on your shoulders like how what's the weight of that before it comes crashing down yeah it's it's a massive weight like because you have to remember who you've told what to and you have to remember in the way that you've told them and mm-hmm. it's it's just like it obviously gets out of control because you're not just telling one or two or three people different things. You might be telling 20 or 30 people d- different things. And, and then they obviously talk to each other as well. And when they say, oh, he told me this, and the other man's saying, oh, well, he told me this here. it's And then you have to kind of figure out like who who you've borrowed money from as well so you don't forget who you've borrowed money from as well. Um, but the the web is, is massive. Like it's until you're probably in that circle, you don't know how big it, it obviously is and the effect it has because maybe you're not going somewhere some night because this person is going to be here and then you can't go to this other place because you don't want to see this person. Um, so it's just a, it's a complete, it's just mayhem, to be honest. Um, and the, the you're, you're not sleeping at night because you're trying to figure out what, where you're getting the money and you know this boy's going to be asking you for money tomorrow and... Probably when that weight was lifted off my shoulders, I was like, I could go to, to to bed and sleep at night and not be worrying about 
where I'm getting the money from. Yes, I had the debt to pay, but like it can all be paid back at the end of the day. And if it's it's just that that sense of you don't have to kind of do it anymore, you're you're out of that that circle. But um, no, the it's definitely a a jungle of lies that you have to kind of mix and match with. I suppose what jumps out to me there as you're talking, you know, is that like when we talk about gambling, like we're all bombarded with it on TV and it's always presented as like this fun thing or so you'll picture your uncle in the bookies or it's yourself and your friends kind of on the phone while you're watching something on TV or in the pub. Um, it's always that kind of fun stuff. But like what you're describing there is then like it, it really starts dominating all facets of your life to the point where you're lying in bed when you're driving the car. Like it's not just the addiction and the kind of the behavior it's not just when you're doing it it's all wrapped around it and then your web of lies really then affects your i suppose i mean it clearly it clearly did affect your relationships then with say friends family or, or with your partner and then what what i'm thinking about is what was it like then to you get i know you so you said it earlier you get that call from your dad and you get that fatherly tone which i'm sure most of us are familiar and you go oh what did i do um yeah so you get home and what do you walk into there and what's your kind of, in terms of that intervention and, and kind of that, because I'm sure that's a key moment both in your life and in your recovery and for sure there's relapses which are common and we'll touch upon that in a moment, but what was it like to to get that intervention and I'm sure you you felt the full range emotionally of anger, frustration, denial, like all the whole, like what's your memory of that? Yeah, well, obviously, like I said, I was coming home from from my girlfriend's house, and I just remember pulling up, and like the lights were on in the house, and I was just like, oh, I know something's up here, and walked in, or went to walk in, and my brother said like he knows everything, so just just tell him like he knows it all, so don't even think about trying to get yourself out of this one, um, and then obviously sat down and. I can't remember the exact conversations, but he was like, "If you something to tell us, and and how deep are you?" And he's like, "These three boys have rang me here, and they're they're coming down now, so you better get your your story straight at the end of the day." And it was just kind of like it was just an eerie feeling, like it was just I knew that I'd done wrong and I was going to be caught, and I was probably just scared for for what the reactions might be. Um, but then it obviously. Uh, opened up and, and told everything and of course there was tears and there was anger and there was but the the ultimate feeling was that the weight was kind of lifted off my shoulders and I didn't have to hide anymore and didn't have to do this anymore so that's probably the the main the main thing that, that came out of that night you know like with stuff like addiction via to, to gambling to, to drugs to alcohol a lot of the time the first reaction many of us feel is like is or like the people trying to help around is like you can feel either shame or anger or frustration but normally the the, the solution or what really helps someone is, is love and support and care um and trust and that flip side so i, I suppose i bring that up from the sense of there'll be plenty of people listening to this who are the person who may be going through something but they'll also maybe know someone who is and it's just that sense of trying to to process through that first wave of all the frustrations but to try and then really be a support or a supporter or to to help someone and from that conversation con and the other thing i want to say actually at this point is that like it's never like up to someone's mom or dad or brother to say great i know this so now i have all the information i'm going to fix it because that's just not in their wheelhouse it's not in their it's not in their realm of expertise and skills so i know you mentioned ushing earlier so from that point on then so the the cat's out of the bag as such 
Like, where is the next port to call for help and in what way does that come? Yeah, well, my father, he, although I wasn't obviously involved in Trone Seniors at the time, I was still involved in minors in number 21, so the GPA were, were obviously contacted and and they were a great help and set me up with with a counsellor and obviously then me and, and my parents met Oshin. Um and then obviously the there's the gambler anonymous meetings going on. Um but I but in the first phase for the first year and a half I never went to them because it was just that embarrassed of somebody seeing me in the town going into these gamblers anonymous meetings and I kinda wanted to keep it within the family and, and close friends who kinda knew the full story. Um and then it it kind of obviously went to the counselor for a while and then stopped that and thought I kind of could come over this by myself and ultimately that didn't happen, um, and then obviously we were con- obviously a relapse and I contacted Ashin and told him and he set me up with with um, a counselor down south um based in Navan but obviously COVID it was kind of rife at the time and hey. I never went down to her but it was over Zoom calls for a large portion of it and. Me and my mother sat actually here and and had the first call and and after the first call with her, um, I hated her because she was getting things out of me that I didn't want anybody to know and like it was her job at the end of the day and she was making me say things that I didn't feel comfortable saying but they were the truth at the end of the day, um, and obviously we we have a good relationship now and obviously what she did back then kind of has worked up until now, um. But it was just that that sense of like I need to get this sorted and obviously the relapse happened and obviously I never meant for it to happen. I didn't go to bed the night before thinking, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and gamble, but it's just something that happened and you kind of have to live with and move on and, and be better kind of the next days that are following and, and lucky enough I've kind of stuck to my guns at the minute and, and hopefully it continues. When you have that... I suppose the experience of counselling as a whole, if I start with, when you have that experience with the second counselor, Colin, you're saying like she's, she was making you say stuff that you're not comfortable with. Or like, what is she getting at there? Is she clawing at kind of the very inner parts of your view of yourself, your self-worth? Or like what's, I suppose, what's what's going on there that made you feel the way you did towards her? Uh, she's probably just getting like everything out in terms of why you did it and where you did it and how you did it and, and just, it's hard to pinpoint one ex- exact thing, but it was it was making me say something that I probably never admitted to myself. Like you have a problem, and that's just it. And she was saying like things like, um, like one of the things was, would you go off the drink for six months? And I was like, no. And she was like, why? And I was like, well, it was never really a factor. Like I wouldn't be a big drinker anyway. And it like me drinking. People might think whenever I was drinking, I was gambling more, but it it wasn't that kind of way whenever I was drinking I was out having a good time with the lads or out for dinner with my girlfriend or whatever but and whenever I was in uni like I didn't probably go out as much because I wanted to keep my money for the gambling so it was just kind of the whole thing built into one that that I never really thought about in deep deeper detail she was kind of getting out and obviously sitting beside my mother at the time I was admitting stuff in front of her and and obviously seeing the hurt that, that I have caused and that obviously wasn't nice as well so it was just a culmination of things that, that all kind of built up and I just didn't, didn't like admitting it. Yeah. Um, 
No, like, and as, and as you're saying that, and I, I think I touched upon it earlier, like, that's why always, like, a lot of times the first wave of help, but for sure, is family and friends and just getting that admission. And maybe you kind of get, but normally, you, you, at that point, you're still in control of the narrative and you get to tell them how much you want and in what way you want. And they're not like trained or equipped to dissect that, the claw at the little sweet spots there that you described. That, of course, is not nice. Um, but like, you know, someone like the counselor you described actually is able to identify holes in your story or like obviously spot common threads or previous things to really get you those kind of couple of extra layers down. And that's like that's the second that was the second time you enter like the like a counseling process. Right. Um, if we could jump back to the first one, just for just briefly, like, so you, you, you get sent to counseling and you're engaging in a one-to-one basis you said you don't you, you don't go to like GA meetings at that point and then I think you did something that's quite common for for young males as I know I did it as well like you kind of make you do the first couple of sessions or you do the first couple of months and you get that kind of release or that kind of I think I have this again now like it actually wasn't that bad like look I'm after getting the work so I can go back to kind of what I was at um sorry i suppose my first question i shouldn't be presuming that is that kind of what happened with you that that kind of you did those first couple you did the release and you kind of wanted to get out of like you weren't ready to kind of do the next layer of work is that what happened at that point you're you're probably right like i just thought like right i've done the council sessions everybody's kind of happy this might have blew over a bit you know um like i knew deep down what i had done was wrong and how many people had hurt but mm-hmm. i still thought i could kind of overcome it myself and and show show people that that I could do it, and yes, I I, I still believe if I had I went to the, the GA meetings at the very start, I, w- I wouldn't have relapsed, and I would have had that kind of group of people around me that that would have kind of kept me on the straight and narrow. But that was my choice not to go. Um, and like as you said, like with with parents and and friends and stuff, like I was able to tell them what kind of information I just wanted to tell them, and. Like there was a pouch of money that was missing from from our house, and obviously I I was the the main culprit that was being investigated, kind of, and like I, I argued black and blue that it wasn't me. And after it came out, like I obviously relapsed or whatever, it took me three months to actually go to, to build up the courage and go to my parents and say, look, see that money that you thought you threw in the bin or thought you lost, like it was actually me that took it, and and that was probably a big step because. They said like they probably knew rightly all along it was me, but because there was nothing like they were just glad that I'd kind of taken ownership and and like although it did take a long time for me to tell them because I knew how the effects that it that it had they were still glad that I told them and it kind of opened maybe a, a different barrier that that they're saying right maybe he is changing here and and he is kind of opening up to us so. Um, yeah, it was definitely difficult. And then, like to, to to go through that, and like you, as you said, to to relapse. And I think one of the things I, I'd like to say at this point, Fran, is that like relapses are quite common in in this journey of yes, there's a breakthrough, like, and it's easy for friends and family to be like, okay, great, he or she has admitted to this. We've brought he or she to help, and like, so we're on the right path now. And normally, there is a wave of progress, or there is like a that kind of first step or two but how did did the relapse bring up all wounds um like did that did that challenge those close relationships again yeah definitely um 
like probably the second time I knew the, the consequences of me getting caught more than, than the first time. Um, like whenever the first time came out, I was, I'm still obviously with the same partner, Michaela, and, and she, we kind of only started going out at that back in 2018 when it all kind of came out and she probably didn't have a sense of how big it was because like it, it had been going on years before that, you know, um, but then the, when the second time came out, it it opened up, it probably opened up a, a larger portion between me and her because like she runs her own business or whatever, and she was thinking later down the line when we are married and have kids and have children and have the house and stuff to pay for, like this this could if if this happens again, like it could affect her as well, and um like that was probably tough and. And another reason why, like, I keep my my head in the straight and narrow is because obviously you don't you don't want to lose her or whatever. And I'm close to her family as well, and and they all know. And obviously, I didn't probably want them to know because I'm obviously a boyfriend coming into the family, and I don't want them to think of me in a, in a in a bad way already, you know. And but it's just something that that we all kind of live with, and even with with my parents, like they were like, how could you do this to us again, basically, and, like, it's still raw to this day, probably, and, like, I always often think about, like, we're kind of the family in, in the local area that's that's on the, because of, of me being, coming out, like, I always think about, like, I wonder there's other parents thinking, you know, others, so-and-so and their son's a gambling addict, or, or they maybe didn't do as good a job as we think we're doing, you know, that kind of way, so it kind of is still hurts that way and because of of the the choices that that I made but ultimately it's done now and, and I can only we can only move forward and, and kinda reflect on it and, and move forward in kinda like a positive way. So it's it is difficult and the wounds definitely were opened again and friendships were kinda falling out for a while and I had to kinda get that trust back from a lot of people but at the minute, it's 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 on a good path, and and hopefully it just kind of continues, you know. I put like when you're dealing with any with this stuff, like two words that jump out to me as you're talking there is like obviously hurt, and we all hurt in different ways and feel that hurt in different way, in different ways. And then the second word is like is that trust that then like in any relationship, be it with your partner, if it's a coach to an athlete, if it's a boss to an employee, like when trust disappears or is damaged, like it takes time. And, and it can be hard to repair, you know, because trust has to be repaired through experience and I suppose more so your actions and behaviours than your words. Um, when, when you said you relapsed, Connor, how, I think you mentioned it earlier that like, it wasn't just, your mom said it wasn't just one bed, it was a prolonged period of time again, right? Yeah, it was about, so initially, like, I just woke up in my bed and, and I think it was a horse that did, and then... I actually think I might have won it in my first bet, and I was like, that was just me back in back in the the swing of things, and then this uh, this went on for a year and a half. But that initial that initial relapse was, I literally just woke up one day and opened my phone and just started again, and then that went on for like I said, a year and a half. And so, like for for that to jump back in the way it does, like, and then ultimately you do end up back in counseling again, and I know you said you've done some things differently the second time in terms of sort of counseling, but you, you are doing, you have done or are doing the GA meetings, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I am. It was, it was kind of, you're going to these and there's no other option. Um, and like I say, like it, it, 
COVID happened and football was off, but um, and all the meetings were kind of like online, so I could be doing a meeting in America or I could be doing a meeting in Australia or Edinburgh or even in Dungan or, or even Calvin, like wherever I could zoom into any meetings at any time of the day. And, and obviously now things, restrictions are being lifted and there's more meetings kind of coming back face to face. And wherever I can, I try to get to them. But like football obviously has a, a major impact on that. Like if we're training on the same night, I just can't go to the meetings. And I try to get them in where it's possible online. Like if they have a free hour, just kind of click on and, and see where the meetings are at and kind of plan my week around it. And yes, there is sometimes where I mightn't go for seven to ten days or two weeks, but I always, like, uh, probably should be going every week. But I always kind of plan out, the, the like, with work, with football, with doing things with your girlfriend, with working in her, her business as well. Like, it's... It's tough to kind of juggle everything in, but it's just something that I have to factor into my life. And at the minute, I'm trying to, I'm not doing too bad at it, but um, it's just getting regular meetings in. And if I have to do two a week, one week, and then maybe not one the next week, then that's just kind of what what you have to do. Yeah, and like, and what I hear from you there as well is like, it's not a sense like with gambling is like sometimes people could be a bit naive and think like it's all bad, it's all bad, go get help, it's all good, it's all good. Like, there's actually yeah. a there's a management aspect to it and a sustainability aspect where you've got to prioritize your well-being and I'm sure you have mechanisms or skills now that you've learned. And I suppose that was just going to ask kind of from the journey that you've been on, like the two blocks of work that we've talked about and discussed, like what is that, what has that taught you about yourself and kind of what do you do, do, what do you do differently now that maybe you didn't back then that was causing, was getting, I suppose it was adding to you getting caught up in that cycle. Does that make sense? Yeah, probably just talking more. Um, okay. Like, uh, like say I am finding it difficult. Like, it might take me two, a couple of hours or a couple of days to actually say, like, this is what I was feeling back then, you know. Um, but probably just trying to open up more and get my feelings across. Like, look, I was really struggling this day and this is why. Or, like, obviously we we won the, the League and Championship double here a couple of years ago and or last year with the club yeah with the club and, and obviously we were in the rep for a couple of days and there was horse racing on in the bars and to be fair it wasn't that tough but like I think people I, I never wanted people to change around me like obviously Cheltenham and stuff was on and and like people obviously think Cheltenham for a gambler is is, is massive but it's just another day like there's, it's no different from three weeks ago the horse racing on it was, it's all kind of the same thing there's just a bit more buzz about Cheltenham obviously but the the whole concept of the gambling is, is the same it's just another day um, and it probably annoys me that I can't do things like that like go away with friends and even just to have a bit of crack about who you done and like punters pals and stuff like that there or um, doing a bet at the weekend but like I always say whenever it came out that I didn't want people to change around me and they can kind of because that would make me uncomfortable then feel like I'm can't be there um but yeah the the main thing would probably be trying to open up more and and just saying like this look this is how I feel today and it might be nice to hear obviously that I felt like I was doing a bet like if I said oh I felt like doing a bet yesterday it's obviously nice not nice for somebody to hear and they, th- they automatically jump on the oh he's he's going to relapse here or he's going to do something stupid but it's just being honest that it doesn't just go away the feeling um it has got easier to be fair and 
I don't really think about doing a bet anymore. Um, but there's obviously certain times whenever whenever it creeps up, and I'm just trying to trying to deal with it at the end of the day. Yeah, and then like obviously from the from what you've learned, like those those thoughts and thinking about that, like that will never truly go away. That will present itself probably many more times over the course of your life. Um, and then you've kind of got to you've got to re- I suppose you that manifests into a feeling in some way, and maybe. You can tell me sometimes a feeling might be bringing you back to the past and it could be feeling shame or guilt. Another time you could feel, oh, maybe that could be exciting or that could be good. But I suppose like, is the key is the key part of that journey to just kind of what action you take next and kind of what you do about that. Those like that, those thoughts and feelings that are happening internally. Yeah, exactly. It's always just going to it's something that we have to live with as me as myself and the family. It's just something that happened in, in my life and that the ultimately why a lot of people probably know who I am because I became so public about it and we just have to live with that fact and it's about obviously you look back on it with regret and 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 how that it, it got so deep but then you also look at where, where you've came from that and how you've kind of overcome things and how you can obviously help other people and and maybe stop them from getting as deep down into it than that you were and maybe if they are even deeper it gives them that push to actually come out of it and, and open up about it. Like, do you have any thoughts on kind of sports relationship with the gambling industry in terms of like, you know, you watch a so- I watched a soccer game the other day, like at halftime, it's blasted on the sideboards. It's there. It's on the jerseys. If a manager does his interview afterwards, the logo's there. And then even actually one that happened to me yesterday was you mentioned Richie Power. I know he spoke to Thomas Niblock on the, on the BBC podcast and, I, I actually read an article on it on another website and I went in to read on it and the top and bottom banner ad on an article about a player's addiction was was advertisements for for a gambling company and I just like like uh, it defeats the purpose like oh, it just oh. it just seemed quite surreal um to be honest yeah. with you um do you have any thoughts on on that relationship between between sport and gambling yeah like obviously like I've I've done a few talks and stuff from parents and children other and like I would always say them. Um, there's nothing like I'm not here to say gambling is the worst thing in the world and um, like people are allowed to have a bet it's just I took it too far and like there's nothing wrong with having a like obviously it's rich coming from me saying there's nothing wrong with, with having a bet but if it is living within your means and doing a tenner every week like if you if, if you can afford that then that's fine but it's whenever you obviously cross over that barrier where you're doing it excessively and it's affecting your life and like I was saying to his parents one day like if you go home and tell your kids right there's no gambling in this house and if he's gambling he's grounded they're gonna do it anyway you know that kind of way it's kind of just watching watching them and, and looking after their bank accounts and kind of just reminding them of of what other has happened to other people and, and looking out for them at the end of the day and obviously in, in terms of the sporting aspect with with the association with gambling, I think Gaelic's actually generally quite good. We don't like I don't, I don't think there's any banners around Coke Park or any real club scenes. Um, but at the end of the day, in terms of soccer, they're the ones that are pumping the money in to like they're even in the Irish league up here. Like they're sponsoring, they're making teams tick at the end of the day. They're they're giving players a chance to play and they they are pumping money into the clubs, but. Like even when I done the <laughs> the Clare Burn, like I seen a few things on Twitter and 
the top of the RT Sport was a, the picture of the Boyle Sports or whatever and the, the horse the horses and stuff and it, it was like I was annoyed at that because like I had been dawned obviously saying my, my story and stuff and uh, it probably shouldn't have been there because it kind of defeats the purpose of why but like obviously when you're watching the NFL or the basketball or the soccer like obviously the odds come up and then you have obviously a lot of like even like Paul Merson and stuff, he came out and talked about his gambling addiction and he's such a public figure in, in the world through soccer, but the soccer ones still put up the ads for, for the the gambling and stuff. So it's it's a difficult one. Like I know they it in terms of sponsorship and, and pumping money into clubs it has it makes clubs survive at the end of the day. But it also has a leading effect that they're drawing more people more and more people in and it probably there probably needs to be something like Oshin. He says like he's trying to cut a lot of things out and just be, make people aware that when the fun stops, you have to you have to ultimately stop. But um, it's a it's a difficult one to kind of pinpoint the 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 pros and cons of it. To be honest, yeah, um, no, that's a you could do a whole another a whole another podcast dissecting that and kind of I know in fairness to the GA they have a they have a ban on, on gambling sponsorship. You mentioned the word awareness there, Colin. Kind of my last question on, on, on the gambling block and that kind of part of your life and just as we look to wrap this up then was like if you are talking, let's say there's a parent listening to this or there's a there's a someone thinking about their partner or a friend thinking about another friend, whatever it is. When you say well, if the fun stops or whether you cross that line or, or when the relationship with gambling changes from your, and I know we'll have talked about a lot of this, but from your experiences like a summer, what are like the... What are kind of those signs or those warning signs to look out from that if you were looking out and saw some a couple of different behaviours or like triggers in your friend that would kind of put a little orange flag beside your head to think maybe something's going on there? Probably just the, the communication is probably a big one. Like if they're coming in and being quiet or like I know I was coming in and shutting myself away and if somebody talked to me, I was quite angry. Probably when I lost nine times out of ten. Um, and even just being like... Like people have been like my if my mother and father asked to look at my bank account now, I have to I have to show them there's no and I nine times out of ten pay with a lot of things by card, so I have that initial trust that this is where my money's going and you can see exactly where it's going. So in, in terms of a younger person it would, and and the older it would be their mood um that maybe you would look out for. Um maybe different trends of where they're going and not that you're you're keeping not that you're spying on them or anything, but like if you if you if you feel that there is an issue, maybe ask somebody else close to them, like one of their best friends, or is he is he doing a bit of gambling or is she doing a bit of gambling or have you noticed anything different with with X Y and Z or it's kind of just I know from my experience it was kind of my behavioural sense and my keeping my cards close to my chest in the sense that. I didn't really let anybody in and, and tell people what I was doing and if somebody tried to talk to me it was kind of a couple of word answers and that was kind of it um, but again people might have different perceptions and, and everybody I'm sure acts, acts differently but from, from me it would just be more behavioural and, and obviously if you do like maybe have a joint account with your partner or you are wanting to look at your your son or daughter's bank account just, just look at it and if you ask them and, and they're trying to hide something, then that's a big indicator as well. Like, whenever 
before I relapsed, uh, or in the in the middle after I relapsed, and wh- while I was gambling, my mother asked me to see my bank account, and I said no, you don't trust me, and I came out with all this here, and then she knew deep down that probably something was happening. Um, but now, like if she if she says to me, let me see your bank account, I have no issue to to give it to her. Like I'll have it there within seconds. I'll not even look to see what what I'll just give her my phone, you know. So. There's definitely a lot of things to look out for, but you you obviously know yourself the person that you're dealing with, and if you see a a, a change in somewhere, there's there's more likely something might have happened, you know. And with all that, like, with all that you've lived through, and with all that you've shared today, and again, I'll, I'll say thank you for it again. Like, but what's life like for for you now, um, in terms of life off the field and your day-to-day relationship with yourself and your your inner yourself talk and all that kind of stuff how how is your life now yeah it's it's definitely a lot better i wouldn't say it's perfect by by any stretch of the imagination but does that exist uh jesus i'm i'm yet to see it anyway (laughs) um but like like as i said earlier i can go to sleep at night and and not really think about like where i'm getting money for i can I have money now to do like to go on holidays to get a car if I wanted to go out and treat me and my girlfriend or and go for dinner or, or nights away or whatever like I've whereas before I didn't have the money to do it so I was obviously putting a lot of things off um I guess it's it's still difficult in terms of like opening up and talking to my my parents or my brother or my close friends or about it or whatever but if I really wanted to I knew I could and things aren't that bad yet that are making me, you know, think about things. Um, yes, obviously gambling is, is part of my, my life or was part of my life and it's it's always going to be probably what I'm I'm known for for a lot of people. Um, so it's kind of keeping that ownership too of you want to prove people wrong and, and people who have reached out to you in the past, like you want to, to honour them for, for reaching out and, and wishing you well, you know, um, because obviously becoming so public, I, I know if I t- turn the corner again, it's, it's it doesn't look great on, on a wider scale, never mind just in the family. Um, but generally things things are good. I can go to tra- I can go to train now and I'm fully focused on the tasks that we have. And like if I was still gambling, I would be I wouldn't be on the train team and we wouldn't have won the All Ireland up the middle. Not that not that. We wouldn't have. I wouldn't have been a part we of it. Wouldn't have. Yeah. Um. Not to say the team wouldn't have won it, but <laughs> like I, I know you, I, you are class. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, definitely yes. But no, I I know I wouldn't be there, and I, I wouldn't have the Ulster and All Ireland medal in, in the back pocket, kind of, and probably God knows where I would be at the end of the day. But um, it's kind of good to look back on things and and kind of reminisce where you were and kind of where where you've come. Yeah, like, of course, it's good to re- to reflect on it, you know, and I mean, listen, what we've talked through there over the last hour, Connick, there's so much learning and value in it from from lived experience and from in terms of building a resilience and, and building like your your capacity to, to cope with and overcome. But I think the other point I would like to make, though, is obviously like you are known for this. And for sure, most of our conversation has been spent talking about gambling in terms of, you know, raising awareness and hopefully helping the listener to um 
to either help someone else or to help themselves. But I suppose most people know you as a Toronto footballer. For sure, you know, like you're also known with gambling addiction. But I think it is important to say that there's also so much more to you and you do so much more in your life. And I suppose what, like, just as you wrap this up, kind of what is your what is your day to day life off the field? And then that's one question. And the second question I have for you is, do you feel like you're a better person um, for having lived the journey you have and and having learned what you've learned? Yeah, well, back to the first question, like a day to life is like I work for for a company called LCC and I'm in the sales department and it's it's literally getting up for work and like I leave the house at half eight in the morning um, and whenever we're training, I don't go home after work, I go straight to training and I'm not maybe home to, to 10 or 11 o'clock at night and like that's obviously tough because you have to incorporate your eating and stuff into into your working life and make sure you're eating at the right times, go to train and you don't have that maybe hour or two before training where you can just sit down and, and relax. Like it's literally going to work, leaving work to train and then training to bed and then back up for work again. Um, obviously we have nights off and stuff and like I try to like a, try to obviously we're going to the gym and stuff too so a lot of a lot of the week is is based around work training and, and obviously seeing seeing my girlfriend and a family and friends and stuff um there's nothing really more to it than than that and obviously we like we like our time off and we like to do things and get time away and explore different sports like i, I like playing golf and stuff and my girlfriend like i said she runs her own business it's a bar and restaurant i work on it as well when i can to, to help out and enjoy that because it's 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 a bit of crack too with ones and drinking and stuff and um obviously we we get to spend time together then and she's obviously working flat out as well so it it is difficult to to put your hand in so many baskets and do a lot of things but ultimately it's it's the close things that that matter and it's it's working playing football and, and spending time with your family and, and your friend and friends um and that's kind of where what my day to day it's not there's nothing exciting in it and it's it's just kind of just simple enough and I feel for me being busy is the main thing because it obviously keeps my head away from the gambling and stuff and I always like being busy and, and doing things to so that I'm not sitting in my room different thinking about different things and, and wondering um so it's 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 good that way. No, it's great and like do you do you do you feel like so obviously listen what you've described there is a busy schedule and you're doing a lot of stuff but it, and that's and I said, and it's all great, and it's all positive stuff. And I suppose my question was like, on those quieter moments or those those quieter down days, which I'm sure you need every now and again. Like, are are you like are you proud of yourself? And I suppose my second question was, do you feel like you're a better person for having lived through and dealt with what you've dealt with? Yeah, well, obviously, what happened happened, and I can't change it. And if it was a time machine, I would, I would obviously go back and change um, a lot of it. But I have kind of grown up from it, I would say, um, from everything that's happened and kind of realised, like, matured in the sense of, like, I know what I've done and I know what I need to do to continue to, to kind of lead the, the life that I don't want to go back to. And it's, it's I feel like I'm approachable now to, to obviously help a lot of other people. If, if anybody obviously contacts me, I, I will help them in any way I can. And I feel just me open from everything me opening up and being open and honest with with what I have done and and what I am feeling is is probably the the big thing that 
because I was always kind of like a closed book, but now I'm not really afraid to, to tell people of what kind of I'm feeling or thinking. And it might take me a while, like I said, but eventually I'll, t- I'll tell somebody kind of close to me. And I'm also kind of aware of other people's surroundings now and maybe seeing traits in them that, that I had and, and maybe asking them, is, is something wrong or whatever? And it's kind of just kind of opening up your your her, your broader horizon and and not just thinking about yourself is probably the, the main thing that that I've taken out of the whole experience. Okay, no, it's just such there's such powerful kind of, like, there's such powerful learning in that and like I suppose that ties in like my very like it's my last question for you. Um, if any like obviously this is the Players Voice podcast we've we're producing it with the Gaelic Players Association so. For any players, past or present, that's listening to this, um, whose life or mood has kind of maybe negatively been affected or impacted by gambling, like what would, as a kind of a last, a last question to you, what would you like to say to them, or what would you, yeah, what would you like to say to them? Look, I know people obviously are listen, will be listening to this, and, and some of them might have issues, and like I said, my door is always open. Like I know I'm not. A counselor or whatever but I have went through it so I'm probably an expert in that kind of way and if somebody did want to contact me like I have no issue with that um but in terms of the GPA the GPA were a massive help to me um they sorted out the counseling and, and different avenues like that and anything I ever needed they, they gave me and I probably wouldn't be here today came so far with, without the GPA and even just to, like I know the GPA have their own services that you can contact anonymously and stuff. And I would just, if, if you are struggling and you don't want to tell maybe somebody that that is close to you, I would contact somebody definitely in the GPA and it'll obviously be kept confidential. And then that might give you the courage then to, to open up to, to closer members of your family and friends. And, but like I said, it's, it's a great help and it was a great help to me. And I know it has been a great help to others and, it ultimately has changed changed my life for for the good, and without them, there's just I wouldn't be where I am today. And it's as simple as that. All. No, I appreciate it, and I will definitely will include all that information for the helpline, all that stuff in this conversation. But for now, um, I just like to say thank you to again for your for your honesty and inf- insights, for both like your vulnerability and courage in this conversation, for your for your perspective. Um, it's a conversation I've really enjoyed, and I know it's gonna. It will help a huge amount of people, be it a coach, a parent, a brother, sister, a partner, a GA player or whatever sport someone plays or whatever whatever walk of life someone's in. There's just there's huge value in that there, Con. And I just thank you very much for coming on, joining us and, and having this conversation. No problem. Thanks for having me and definitely enjoyed talking about it. I have so much admiration and respect for Con Kilpatrick. And I truly believe this is a conversation that will positively impact so many. Again, if you're a GPA member and worried about problem gambling, please call 1-800-989285 or text GPA to 50808 in the Republic of Ireland. And if you're calling from Northern Ireland, it's 0800-044-5059 or you can text GPA to 85258. If you aren't a GPA member and need support, please check out gamblersanonymous.ie or problemgambling.ie. The Players Voice podcast is brought to you by the Gaelic Players Association in collaboration with Real Talks. 
To listen to previous episodes with Tom Parsons, Chloe and Shayna Mori, Kate Keeney and Louise Galvin, make sure to subscribe by searching The Player's Voice on whichever podcast platform you prefer. My name is Alan O'Mara, and to find out more about my work as a performance and wellbeing consultant, please go to www.realtalks.ie or find me on Twitter and Instagram at AOMTheCat. That's AOMTheCat. Don't forget, you can find out more about the GPA's Bio360 program by visitting bio360.gaelplayers.com. Thanks for listening.